from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sails. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to the CER podcast. I'm Beth Oppenheimer, researcher here, and today I'm here with Agata Gostinska-Jakubowska, a senior researcher. Hi there, Agata. Hi, Beth. Uh, And today we're going to talk about the rule of law in the EU, particularly about the latest developments with the Polish government. Um, Rule of law is a cornerstone of the EU and it's a necessary condition for membership. But some of the newer member states are eroding this and the EU now has to defend it. So the Law and Justice Party, PIS, came to power in Poland in 2015 and the government set about increasing its control over the media and the courts. It got rid of some judges in Poland's Supreme Court and replaced them with new ones. And this has weakened democratic checks and balances and brought Poland into conflict with Brussels. So the European Commission triggered the Article 7 procedure against the Polish government, which could lead to the suspension of Poland's voting rights, and it took it to the European Court of Justice over its actions. So, Agata, what is the state of play of this rule of law dispute between the European Commission and the Polish government? Has the government conceded to the EU? Well, for the moment, there is a case against the Polish government in the Court of Justice. The Court of Justice is about, I think, to rule on this case in February. As you might remember, the European Commission decided eventually to bring the case against the Polish government and it decided to question its act on the Supreme Court. Supreme Court is the highest uh, court in Poland, which among others adjudicates on validity of various elections, including parliamentary elections in Poland. So as you can see, I mean, any uh, attempt to perhaps revise its functioning and to change the makeup of this court uh, causes obviously concerns elsewhere on the continent, in other member states and in Brussels. Basically, the Court of Justice believes that it is competent to adjudicate in the matter which, for example, the Polish government uh, has seen as a domestic matter. And this is mainly because the Court of Justice see Polish courts, including Supreme Courts, as so-called European Union courts, because they also adjudicate, apply and enforce, if necessary, EU law. So for sure, the uh, Court of Justice feels that it has right to wait in. What it has also done, it actually already issued a decision on uh, something that we call interim measures. And I know it's very complicated matter, but I will try to explain it to you. So what the court did was basically to say that until it issues its final verdict, the the Polish government should suspend controversial provisions of the Act on the Supreme Court. And it should also provide the Court of Justice with regular updates on how it actually addresses or addressed those interim measures. So indeed, the Polish government actually revised the Supreme Court Act one more time. I mean, it's 
difficult already to count how many times the Supreme Act has been revised. And indeed, it has reinstated all those uh, Supreme Court judges who have been sent for early retirement, including the first president of the court. So as, as it stands, the Polish government maintains that since it addressed most of the concerns of the commission, the commission should withdraw the case from the court of justice. But the commission has been reluctant uh, to do so. It worries that this is yet another attempt of the Polish government uh, to play tricks. And it has uh, maintained that the um, that uh, it is still interested in the court's verdict. So we'll see what the, what the court of justice does in several weeks' time. But uh, certainly, uh, I think it is already um, quite groundbreaking that the court of justice is is looking into something that many, for example, in Poland, obviously, um, governing party thought was beyond its remit. Interesting. So if you're saying that in Poland, this is kind of seen as a domestic issue and ECJ intervention is resented, what's the view among other EU member states? Are they relieved that the ECJ stepped in or are they also seeing this as an intrusion on national sovereignty? I think it's a very interesting question indeed. Normally, as you know, member states have been quite reluctant to see Court of Justice waiting in into something that they might see as domestic matters, but not in this case. As you know, the Commission, before it decided to press ahead with the case in the Court of Justice, it actually recommended that Article 7 of the Treaty on European Union is activated. And that's the procedure which is very often called nuclear weapon, whereby actually member states themselves uh, declare whether one of them is in breach of EU fundamental values. And as you can probably imagine, it's not easy for member states to punish one of their own, <laughs> not to point finger to any, any EU capital and blame and shame it for, for democratic backsliding uh, simply because uh, they might worry that that would attract attention to uh, some rule of law problems in, in other countries, you know. So member states have been very reluctant to push forward case against Poland. There has been several hearings of the Polish government and the General Affairs Council, which is uh, predominantly dealing with this case. And basically the, the EU capitals haven't, haven't really made much progress on this. And if you look into the rationale behind the, those actions or actually lack of actions is A, uh, many member states think that they will need Poland's backing later on in other negotiations, so they have been reluctant to push this case against against Warsaw. Others simply think that, you know, public lecturing could make things simply worse. And finally, you know, the point that I already made, uh, obviously what is happening in Poland and, and in Hungary is really worrying, but that doesn't mean that other member states are not having their own issues uh, with the rule of law. And I think many of them uh, worry that that could simply attract the commission's attention in what is happening in their own uh, playground. So in a way, I think you're right to say that member states feel really relieved uh, that they, at least for the moment, have this problem off their shoulders. So they feel quite comfortable with actually court of justice uh, waiting in. 
Yeah, I think that's really important what you've just flagged, which is that this issue is absolutely not confined to Poland. Um, and you've mentioned already that Poland in some ways has been following the Hungarian example, but also Romania as well, which has just taken over the rotating presidency amid concerns about corruption and backtracking on the rule of law there. So there are worries that Bucharest could pass a law which would grant amnesty to individuals who've been convicted for corruption. And as president, Romania is going to have this very crucial role of managing disciplinary hearings against countries like Poland and Hungary. So do you think that Romania is going to be able to deliver? I mean, the, the Europe ministers said that they want to be an honest broker. Are they going to be able to deliver that? Well, I think that's a very similar case to Bulgaria and Austria. Uh, those two member states who have already held their presidencies and uh, both of them were quite reluctant to push the case uh, against against Poland. Uh, you're right to say that indeed uh, the rotating presidency is crucial in actually deciding on whether the vote within the Article 7 procedure would take place. Uh, so as you know, the Article 7 procedure is a multi-stage process. Uh, it's not that straightforward that you punish a member state for a democratic backsliding. Basically, it sometimes, it, you know, it, it could take forever because first you need to determine whether there is a serious risk of uh, backtracking on the rule of law. And that requires at least the majority of 22 member states. Even, you know, to activate that first stage, the country holding the presidency would make a call and say, okay, guys, let's vote on <laughs> on, this, on this issue. And it hasn't happened uh, up to, uh, until recently uh, in the Polish case because of the reasons I've, I've just mentioned. So I'm not very hopeful when it comes to Romania, which uh, obviously will be very reluctant to take a um, bold uh, stance on those, on those issues. Um, so I don't see that much progress when it comes to, you know, the council actually addressing the rule of law problem. That's, that's why many EU capitals have been actually saying, you know, let's see what the Court of Justice says, because that's at the end the ultimate arbiter in those kind of cases. Interesting and worrying because, of course, the longer time that's taken over these decisions, the more erosion that's going on in the background. So what are the latest ideas then to address democratic backsliding in the EU more broadly than just the case of Poland. I think that one of the lessons we have drawn from the Polish case, and I mean, it's in a way, it's you know, it hurts to say that you know the Polish the the, the Polish case uh, has basically provided some fertile ground for new ideas on how to address the the rule of law problem. But uh, anyway, I think the lessons we have drawn is that indeed Article Seven is a very inefficient tool to bring uh, defiant member states to heal. So the you know, various stakeholders, uh, various think tankers and academia members have been exploring other instruments that could help perhaps to address those problems. And one of them is now being entertained on the EU level, and that is the idea to tie up EU funds with the respect for the rule of law so as you know, the European Commission put forward its proposal for the next multi-annual financial framework. And as part of this, uh, this package, it also presented proposal for a regulation which would allow the European Commission to suspend 
EU funding in a member state which is backtracking on the rule of law, which has uh, something that the this act calls generalized deficiencies with regard to the rule of law. And basically the Commission sees obviously an attempt to undermine judicial independence as one of those deficiencies. So the proposal says that the Commission would be able to suspend the funds unless qualified majority of member states opposes this action. And as as it happens in the EU, this proposal has its obviously proponents and opponents. And the discussion is ongoing on whether, whether it is the right tool to address the rule of law problems. So you've t- spoken about the proponents and the opponents. I think it's no surprise that the opponents are countries like Poland and Hungary who are net recipients of the EU budget. I think Orban said today that this tying of funds to the rule of law is at, he, he said it's illegal and he was not going to support it. Do you think that this will be able to get the qualified majority from EU ministers to pass? I must say that I am quite sceptical about this, in a way mainly because the way it has been constructed suggests actually that the rule of law problem is typical for newer member states, so for those which have benefited from the EU budget. Whereas I think it's, it's, it's not fair to say that this is the problem mainly common for Central, Central European countries. Now, of course, we have the most obvious backtracking in Warsaw and, by Warsaw and by Budapest, but it doesn't mean that other member states are not having their own problems or that they will not have their problems with the rule of law. So I think that's one of the problems I have with with this proposal. Another argument that you might hear in some corners also in this town, in Brussels, is basically that this proposal is not legally feasible. Because how will you justify that any attempt to even undermine the judiciary in a certain member state affects directly EU financing? So that's also basically one of the problems that EU lawyers have had with this proposal and that's why they found it perhaps questionable. And finally, this idea, I would say, gives pretty unprecedented powers to the European Commission because it says that the Commission will be able to suspend the EU funds unless member states state otherwise. So I think, you know, those member states which have been quite sceptical about giving the European Commission new competences might uh, oppose. Having said this, I think it's also fair to say that net payers like the Netherlands, who have been pushing and sort of supported this idea, it's fair to say that they will find it very difficult to explain to their own parliaments to let money flow to countries which backtrack on the rule of law. Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, their taxpayers will say, why should we continue spending money on countries which uh, make a mockery of the, of the rule of law? So at the end, I think there will probably be some kind of an instrument which will introduce new type of conditionality. But I'm skeptical whether um, the Commission's proposal will, will be adopted as it is. That brings me to the point you made. This proposal does not require unanimity, but the MFF as such 
does require unanimity. So you could see indeed some member states like Hungary blocking the whole budget because of their uneasiness about the the proposals that we have just mentioned. So uh, I think there is going to be a really you know really difficult ride ahead of net payers and net recipients when it comes to trying to find a, a compromise on this one. So it sounds like there's going to be real problems ahead in terms of trying to get these instruments through. I think it's interesting that all the ideas that we've spoken about really are punitive ones. Do you think that there's anything deeper that could be done to address the populist roots of, of these policies that the Polish government, for example, is adopting? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly uh, the way I, I have seen it. And most of the instruments we've already described indeed focus on, on punitive uh, uh, measures. And I mean, obviously, it's it's right for the European Union to intervene in countries where there is backtracking on the rule of law issues because of the reasons we've we've explained earlier. But I think the the European Union should come up with a more comprehensive strategy, which would also offer some positive impulses, some positive incentives. And this is mainly because uh, European Commission's intervention or the Court of Justice intervention could backfire and could antagonize a pro-European public of Poland or, say, Hungary and other member states. They are pro-European, but they also they are quite skeptical about uh, rationale behind the EU's intervention. So if we don't explain the public of those member states why the EU is actually intervening, you know, they will be vulnerable to the very Eurosceptic and populist narratives of their governments, which have been saying that the EU has no right to intervene, or as in, as it was in the Polish case, you know, some politicians were simply saying that uh, the EU is trying to punish Warsaw because it refused to accept refugees. So I think the key is continue, obviously, with the instruments we already have at our disposal. It is also important to increase public knowledge about what the EU membership is about. So that, for example, the EU membership is not only about benefits, but also about uh, obligations including the obligations, very basic ones, that uh, every member state needs to basically comply with the EU law and respect, for example, the verdicts of the, of the Court of Justice. And I think that's what is missing. Uh, now that we are entering a discussion about the next multi-annual financial framework, it would be wise to think whether we can actually allocate more funds for the democracy promotion within the EU member states. I mean, it's, it's really ironic that the EU spends more on democracy promotion outside the EU than on addressing democratic backsliding in its own member states. I mean, obviously, you know, it is because we used to assume that once a member state joins the EU, it obviously respects all those EU values that, that the EU is about. 
but it seems, you know, that this is not necessarily the case. And in this new multi-annual financial framework, the Commission has actually allocated some funds for promoting the rule of law within the member states. But I actually personally thought that it was peanuts in comparison what is needed. So the good news is that the European Parliament, which will have a say on the next multi-annual financial framework, because it will have to give its consent to the whole package, the European Parliament has just agreed on actually increasing this pot of money to almost 1.8 billion euro, which is more than double of what the Commission has suggested. So it seems to me the European Parliament recognizes that there is a big challenge and that one needs to actually support or increase the public knowledge about the EU. And what is even more important, and I, I haven't actually made this point, is to support also all those civic society organizations which have been making this case, right? Which have been saying, look, since we are part of the European project, we have to respect the, the EU law and we can't be backtracking on it. Numerous civic society organizations have been explaining, for example, to the Polish public why what the Polish government has been doing is worrying and why it can affect them and why the EU is right actually to interfere into these cases. But those civic society organizations very often struggle financially, especially that the uh, governments seem to do whatever it takes to either cut the public funding and make it more difficult for them to operate and this is why these funds could facilitate their work. So we'll see what happens, because at the end of the day, also member states will have to say whether they agree to increasing the ceiling for this rights and values program. I would like to believe that since they all agree that there is a problem with the rule of law in EU member states, that they will decide to chip in in a more generous way with the money to, to promote those organizations who have been fighting for the rule of law. Thanks, Agatha. That was very succinct. Um, much appreciated. And I'm sure, unfortunately, we'll be coming back to this issue again in 2019. I suspect, yes. Well, but so the rule of law issues will keep us busy, definitely. <laughs> Thanks very much. Agatha. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.